Just wanted to check in real quick to wrap up our first season and recap some of what we learned. Like I said in previous episodes, the Root Cause Remedies team really sees this podcast as a learning process. And this first mini season was kind of trying to give us a lay of the land so we can all move forward together with a clear understanding of what we mean when we say environmental justice and what it means in the unique social, political, and historical context of Hawaii. In episode one, Dr. Kyle Kajihiro joined us to give us a little EJ 101 crash course. And what we learned is that environmental justice is a movement and an analytical framework that grew out of Black, Indigenous, and people of color communities. Specifically, it kicked off in the early 1980s thanks to Black organizers in Warren County, North Carolina. They were fighting against a plan to dump contaminated soil in their community, and their movement led to this scathing report by the United Church of Christ's Racial Justice Commission called Toxic Waste and Race. Um, And it found that hazardous waste facilities in the U.S. were much more likely to be located in communities of color, meaning that these communities were disproportionately burdened by environmental harms. Then in 1991, Indigenous people and people of color from all over the world gathered in the first National People of Color Environmental Leadership Summit. (laughs) And there they created the Principles of Environmental Justice. And the preamble to this declaration they wrote is so beautiful, and it lists some of the reasons for the establishment of the principles, so I just thought I'd read them to you here. It says that the summit gathered to, quote, begin to build a national and international movement of all peoples of color to fight the destruction and taking of our lands and communities, to reestablish our spiritual interdependence to the sacredness of our Mother Earth, to respect and celebrate each of our cultures, languages, and beliefs about the natural world and our roles in healing ourselves, yes, to ensure environmental justice, to to promote economic alternatives, which would contribute to the development of environmentally safe livelihoods, and to secure our political, economic, and cultural liberation that has been denied for over 500 years of colonization and oppression resulting in the poisoning of our communities and the land and the genocide of our peoples. Boom. So good. And then in the rest of the declaration, they laid out 17 principles that really center questions of power and root the movement in an acknowledgement of the deep connection between people and land. It's such a beautiful document that it tackles so many really deep issues in our society. It affirms the rights of workers. It explicitly opposes multinational corporations. It calls for environmental education. It recognizes the sovereignty of indigenous peoples and it explicitly condemns militarism and occupation. But what Kyle also shared with us is that the success of this movement also meant that the federal government had to recognize it in a way and that kind of led to its co-optation. In 1992, the Office of Environmental Justice was created within the Environmental Protection Agency, which all sounds great, except that the EPA defined environmental justice in a much more limited way as, quote, the fair treatment and meaningful involvement of all people, regardless of race, color, national origin, or income, with respect to the development, implementation, and enforcement of environmental laws, regulations, and policies. 
This definition just doesn't have the transformative power of the 17 principles because it reduces environmental justice to a procedural question. Like, this was a movement about taking back power and refusing a system that is built on exploiting the planet and exploiting people. It basically challenged the legitimacy of any system that exploits people and the planet for profit. But then it gets reduced to like, okay, you marginalized people have the right to participate in our decision pro- decision-making process and we'll consider your concerns as we decide what to do with your home. So Kyle shared a lot about how the EPA's adoption of environmental justice actually resulted in the co-optation of a lot of on-the-ground efforts and it often funneled funding into conservation efforts and away from real grassroots environmental justice work being done by impacted communities. And he gave us examples of how this played out here in Hawaii, particularly in Waianae, where EJ funding was given to things like stream cleanups, while the work of organizers who were challenging pollution and contamination by the U.S. military was kind of sidelined. And that brings us to our conversation with Professor Jamaica Haley Osorio, who talked with us about Hawaii's political context. Haley explained how environmental justice in Hawaii has to begin with an understanding of Hawaii's political status as a nation illegally occupied by the United States and shaped by settler colonialism. Now, according to the EPA's definition of EJ, this isn't really relevant to environmental justice, right? But remember, here at Root Cause Remedies, we're not messing around with no watered-down version of environmental justice. We want that radical, transformative, Black, Indigenous, feminist, people of color environmental justice. And going back to our 17 principles, the political status of Hawaii is absolutely foundational to environmental justice. In fact, Principle 5 says that environmental justice affirms the fundamental right to political, economic, cultural, and environmental self-determination of all peoples. And Principle 15 says that environmental justice opposes military occupation, repression, and exploitation of lands, peoples, and cultures, and other life forms. Haley also talked with us about how settler colonialism and occupation are environmental issues in themselves because they each reflect capitalism's drive to exploit and extract from indigenous lands. Capitalism sees land as a resource to extract profit from, and it's always hungry for more. And it's this mentality that produced the climate crisis. But what's interesting and complicated and kind of mind-blowing is that even conservation and environmentalism are rooted in this artificial separation between people and land. And Kyle mentioned, they're literally rooted in eugenics and white supremacy. They were about preserving this pristine idea of nature for the enjoyment and consumption of white settlers. And that's why it's so important to center indigenous relationships to land like Aloha Aina. Because for indigenous peoples, this separation is non-existent. People are part of the environment environment is part of people and in a proper relationship, we take care of it and it takes care of us. Haley explained how aloha aina means love for the land, 
but it's also political and ties together people, land, and nationhood for Kanaka Maoli. And we talked about her experience as a kia'i at Mauna Kea and her time living at the Pu'uhonoa there. The Pu'uhonoa is this like real-life vision of the kind of community and relationships that can be nurtured when Indigenous sovereignty and solidarity is actually put into practice. Mauna Kea was also really important in episode three, our conversation with Joy and Omoto. This conversation was really cool because it was rooted in Joy's personal and political history. As a Black Kanaka Japanese scholar, artist, and activist, Joy was so, so, so generous in helping us to understand how environmental justice and racial justice are inseparable. For me, this was a really critical conversation because we're living in a moment of climate crisis, but we're also living in a global uprising for racial justice and police abolition. Uh, And even though sometimes we can feel disconnected from political movements in the U.S., Joy really drove home the fact that policing and racial injustice are 100% important issues here in Hawaii, even though their contours might look a little bit different from what we see on the continent. Joy talked a lot about how white supremacy is this common thread that links different injustices across the world, from settler colonialism to environmental racism to militarism to anti-Blackness. So in Hawaii, we see racist policing against Black folks, but also against kia'i. Like on Mauna Kea, we saw a heavily militarized police force arrest kupuna in service of a corporation because, as Joy powerfully argued, the function of the police has always been to protect private property. And private property is a violent force in the lives and histories of Black and Indigenous peoples because Indigenous lands were stolen in order to create property, and Black folks were themselves considered property. Super heavy stuff. But one other really important takeaway from Joy's conversation for me is that the personal is the political. I mean, we hit all of these super important issues, basically just from talking about Joy's life and experiences. And what that tells me and what I hope that tells you about this podcast is that we don't just think of environmental justice as some abstract concept. We think of it as something that affects our lives, our bodies, the places we love, and the places that our ancestors moved through. And that means that environmental injustice is something that we hold in our bodies. The products of environmental injustice are things that we hold in our bodies, but also the joy of resistance against environmental injustice is something that we live in our everyday lives and we can celebrate together. So that was my attempt to share a few of the things I'm carrying with me as we end our first season and prepare for our next one, which will be about coronavirus, capitalism, and climate change in Hawaii. You know, no biggie. (laughs) We're going to explore the current moment we're living in and essentially ask what the pandemic can tell us about capitalism's impact on the health of our bodies, our community, and our planet. Because COVID-19 has really laid bare the cruelty of the systems that um, capitalism has built, but also 
kind of highlighted the weakness of those systems and given us a chance to think about how we can rebuild them into something better. So we're still kind of thinking it through, but we're going to really be exploring the uncomfortable, scary truth that addressing the crises of coronavirus and climate change means that we got to take down capitalism. Simple as that. There's no real way around it. So while you're waiting for season two to come out, be sure to check out our website where you can find resources to learn more about some of the stuff we talked about this season, like a link to the 17 Principles of Environmental Justice, um, a video of Haley performing poetry, that kind of thing. And lastly, I feel kind of funny saying this, but be sure to subscribe and to rate our podcast because we want to reach as many people as we can so we can really start expanding the conversation about environmental issues in Hawaii. Oh, and when I say we, I mean our awesome team of women running this show. Mahalo nui to Lauren, Carly, Anna, and Kirsten. You can read more about the amazing work they do in the world on our website. Mahalo to all our guests and our listeners. See you next season.